Hey, Crime Salad listeners, welcome back to another episode of Crime Salad, where we serve you a healthy portion of fresh, true crime stories, and we're your hosts, Ashley and Ricky. Our case this week details the grisly murder of young up-and-coming tech entrepreneur, Fahim Saleh. At the time of his death this past July, he was only 33 years old, but his company had amassed millions of dollars already. Given the gruesome nature of his murder, police originally hypothesized that it was the work of a professional hitman or assassin, but it turns out the murderer was someone much closer to Fahim. Fahim Saleh was born in December of 1986 in Saudi Arabia to two Bangladeshi parents. The Saleh family moved around often for work, but eventually they settled down in Rochester, New York. Fahim's father worked for IBM as a software consultant, and the interest in tech ran in the family. Fahim had two sisters, a younger one named Reef and an older one, Ruby, with whom he was very close to. From an early age, Fahim seemed to have a knack for business. When he was only in fifth grade, he started to sell candy from a local dollar store to other kids on the playground. Of course, this little business only lasted a few weeks before being shut down by the principal, but in that time, Fahim had earned a profit of $150. By the time he was in his early teens, Fahim's entrepreneurial spirit and love for technology had grown even bigger. From his parents' home in upstate New York, Fahim started to learn how to use computer code and would build various websites and apps. His most successful project during these early years was a company called Wiz Teen Incorporated, which he made more than $400,000. And Fahim hadn't even graduated high school yet. It's surprising to imagine a kid so successful at creating and running his own company before he's even 18 years old. But according to the Saleh family, it was just who Fahim was. Ruby, his sister, remembers days when he would get so lost in his work that he wouldn't even realize that he had missed both lunch and dinner. After high school, Fahim attended Bentley University in Waltham, Massachusetts, where he kept developing and owning his skills, earning a degree in computer science. After high school, Fahim attended Bentley University in Waltham, Massachusetts, where he kept developing and owning his skills, earning a degree in computer science and engineering. When he graduated from college, despite his success with previous companies, Fahim didn't receive job offers that really excited him or fit with what he was really looking for. Rather than settling, Fahim decided to create his own company and began building the career that he really wanted. By 2010, Fahim had started a company called Tap Fury, which developed a super popular app called Prank Dial. Initially, Prank Dial had a limited set of prank call scenarios voiced by Fahim himself that users could pick from. After the user picked the prank and dialed the target's number, the recording would make an anonymous call and the pranksters could listen in on the other end. Since he was a kid, Fahim always loved pranks. As a child, he and his friends used to make prank calls to their classmates all the time and Fahim was the best at it. After traction on the site picked up, 
Fahim began dedicating all of his time to his app, enlisting other programmers and developers. Together, they created an iOS app, which quickly became one of the top 10 apps for its category. They also developed a token system where users could buy access to calls and other exclusive features. Over the next few years, PregDial was estimated to be worth a $10 million business. Vahim was making about $2 million a year through his project alone. Though Fahim was making a lot of money and continuing to grow PregDial, not everyone was happy with the app. In 2015, Kirk Eady, the deputy director of Hudson County Correctional Facility, was arrested and sentenced to 21 months in prison in 2015 for illegally wiretapping his employees by using the prank dial app. In the five years since its launch, Fahim and his team had added a feature called Evil Operator, which allowed a third person to initiate the phone call between two other people and record the conversation. The two people on the line were led to believe that the other one had initiated the phone call and had no idea that someone was listening in. Kirk was using this feature to listen in and record conversations from his employees, union officials, and others that he thought were critical of him. He would then use what he learned from eavesdropping on the conversations to retaliate against the people on the calls. He changed work schedules, accused some of the caller's spouses of cheating, and registered one person as a KKK member. According to Fahim and Prank Dial, Kirk Eady's use of the app wasn't their responsibility. The Prank Dial website says that prank calling is legal and that it takes care to make sure that the recording scenarios are funny, but ultimately benign and unharmful to those who are receiving the call. Measures are also in place to limit free use. Only a certain number of free calls are allowed each day and no free calls can be made after 9 p.m. But for paying customers, there's much less restrictions. After serving his time, Kirk Eady initiated a lawsuit against Fahim and his company on the basis that he was misled about the app and its legality. As a result of the use of the app, Eady was fired and lost his pension. His lawsuit seeks payment for damages of about $10 million. PrankDial takes no responsibility for what happened to Kirk Eady. Even though the app services are illegal in 11 states here in America, the responsibility for uses ultimately falls to the users. PrankDial tells users to not make calls in those states or to use the features in ways that are illegal or inappropriate. Kirk Eady isn't the only one who had taken issue with prank dial. Lots of people who had received calls had been pretty unhappy and written some negative reviews. To some, prank dial has been labeled as a tool of harassment. Despite the many ways it's been used for problematic means, prank dial is still available and used today. Even with ongoing lawsuits and the continued popularity of Prank Dial, Fahim wasn't done creating and building his tech empire. This time, he focused his efforts outside of the United States and on projects for improved public good. He developed Pathio, a motorcycle ride-sharing service in Bangladesh that was valued at $100 million. By 2015, it was one of the fastest-growing startups in Asia. He built off the success and founded Gokata, a company with a similar premise, but based in Nigeria. While it was originally a ride-sharing company like Pathio, 
After the ban of motorcycles in Lagos, the company switched to focus on food delivery. Fahim's friends called him the Elon Musk of the developing world, and he wasn't ashamed to show off his ever-growing wealth on social media. A YouTube video he posted shows him surprising his dad with a Tesla Model S for Father's Day, and his Instagram was full of luxurious vacations and time spent with his family. In December of 2019, Fahim purchased a $2 million apartment on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, and according to his sister Ruby, this was a big move for him, and he was thrilled about making his lavish apartment into a home. With so much ahead of him and big plans for his future, no one had any idea that these plans would be cut short in such a grisly and horrendous way. On Monday, July 13th, 2020, around 1.45 in the afternoon, Fahim was returning back to his Lower East Side apartment from a three-mile run. Security surveillance footage from that day shows Fahim getting into the elevator in the building to head back up to his apartment with another person. This person was dressed in a three-piece black suit, black gloves, and carried a duffel bag. Given the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, the man's face was covered in a black mask. Based on the video footage, it seemed as if Fahim knew the man that entered the elevator with him, or at least he didn't see him as a threat. The footage shows them casually chatting as they enter the elevator. Fahim didn't know what this man had planned. Once in the elevator, this man took out a taser and used it on Fahim, which allowed the attacker to overpower him. Fahim Saleh was then stabbed at least five times in his neck and torso, killing him. Neighbors reported hearing loud noises and screaming coming from his apartment, but no one bothered to call the police or investigate. Killing Fahim wasn't the end of it though. His killer returned the following morning, plugged in an electric saw and began systematically dismembering Fahim's body. With the saw, he removed Fahim's head, arms, and lower legs. Once removed, Fahim's body parts were placed in various construction grade trash bags. After dismembering Fahim's body, the killer began the process of cleaning up the bloody and violent mess that he made. At this point, it had been over 24 hours since anyone had seen Fahim. Given his large profile and his close-knit family, they began to feel concern and wanted to make sure that he was okay. One of Fahim's cousins decided to drop by to check on him. When she arrived at his apartment building, she called from the lobby, but no one answered, so she headed up the elevator. She had no idea that Fahim's killer was still in there. Hearing the door open, it's assumed that the murderer abandoned his plan to dispose of the body and fled from the scene. He was able to escape through a side service entrance and down a staircase. Fahim's cousin had entered into a traumatic nightmare. She saw her cousin in parts scattered around the room. The electric saw was still plugged in. Plastic bags were filled with bloody body parts. When the police arrived, their initial thought was they were dealing with a professional assassination, a hitman, a hitman who hadn't had the time to finish the job. At the scene, the police found the murder weapon and the taser used to subdue Fahim. Additionally, they found a Makita saw with two batteries, blue gloves, scissors, various cleaning supplies like towels, two gallons of disinfectant, nine sponges, and a magic eraser. Whoever had killed Fahim Saleh had come prepared to dispose of the body and had hoped to get away with this. 
this killer had a plan. According to police, the scene looked like it was the beginnings of a professional murder. Initially given Fahim's public profile and lawsuits from prank dial, investigators considered that someone might have hired a hitman to take out Fahim. After all, there were plenty who were upset with Fahim and his company for handling their complaints about prank dial. As the investigation got underway, they realized that they were dealing with anything but. Fahim's murderer was hiding in plain sight and leaving a trail of evidence behind him. Investigators found anti-felon identification cards, which are small colorful tags that look like confetti with serial numbers on them, and they're released when a stun gun is used. The serial numbers on these little identification cards said that the person who used the taser that incapacitated Fahim belonged to a 21-year-old man named Tyrese Hapsel. Tyrese was from Long Island and was as enthusiastic about computer science, business, and the future of tech just like Fahim. In high school, he won awards for web design, and according to reports, he had started working with Fahim and his company when he was only 16. He continued to work with him as he enrolled in Hofstra University. Tyrese's role was Fahim's personal assistant, and he did a variety of jobs from walking the dog to managing some of Fahim's finances, and he was paid well for his work. Tyrese was using this money to pay off his debts he had with other family members. Though he had spent much time with Fahim, Tyrese in the months before the murder was fired from his job as a personal assistant. According to those familiar with Tyrese in Fahim, Tyrese had stolen over $90,000 from Fahim and his company while working for him. Rather than going to the police, Fahim had offered a way for Tyrese to pay and work off the debt through a payment plan. This didn't appease Tyrese, and police believed that this financial situation was motive for committing this murder. After finding Tyrese's identification card at Fahim's apartment, they quickly began looking into his actions over the days following the murder. At 9.30 in the morning, the day after Fahim was last seen going up into the elevator, Tyrese's credit card was used at a Home Depot just blocks away from Fahim's apartment building. Store records confirmed by security camera footage showed that Tyrese purchased an electric saw and cleaning supplies. His credit card history showed that he had used Uber to travel back and forth from Fahim's apartment building multiple times on the day of the murder and the morning after. Between the taser evidence, matching power tools, and Uber receipts, it seemed that evidence was clear. Tyrese Haspel was responsible for Fahim's death. A warrant went out to try to find Tyrese. He wasn't at his apartment, but in his storage unit, they found Duraflame logs, lighter fluid, Tiki torch fuel, WD-40, and matches which suggests that after dismembering Fahim, perhaps he was planning on burning the remains. Despite having just committed a horrible murder, investigators who tracked Tyrese's movement found him going about his day as normal. After fleeing from the apartment when Fahim's cousin arrived, Tyrese headed to a rented Airbnb less than a mile away with a monthly cost of $18,000. 
That Wednesday night after he spent the morning dismembering his former boss's body, he was seen leaving the rented apartment to pick up two large gold foil balloons with the number 22. Apparently, it was his girlfriend's 22nd birthday that day. Tyrese and his girlfriend are seen coming back from dinner carrying leftovers, and based on the video footage, you'd never suspect that this man had just committed a graphic, violent murder. By early Friday morning, the police had finished gathering and getting the necessary warrants to officially arrest Tyrese Haspel for murdering Fahim Saleh. At least a dozen cops arrived at the rented Airbnb. The superintendent of the building said that Tyrese attempted to run when authorities closed in, but they were able to arrest him without much trouble. Tyrese was charged with second-degree murder, and the judge ordered him to be held without bail. For those who knew Tyrese Haspel, his arrest for murder came as quite a surprise. His neighbor, Kate Hain, never thought anything off about Tyrese and certainly never expected that he was capable of murder. The roommate that Tyrese lived with says that he never caused any trouble and kept largely to himself. His aunt Marjorie said that he could be troublesome and had a difficult childhood, but believed that he wasn't violent, and especially not this violent. Tyrese's girlfriend named Marini, who he has been dating for nearly two years, has firmly claimed that her boyfriend is innocent. She says that she knows him best, and that he hates conflict and is so nice to people. She says that he's never been in trouble before, and that the media and the NYPD has been working to paint her boyfriend as a villain without clear enough evidence. Tyrese's lawyers as he goes on trial are Sam Roberts and Neville Mitchell. His defense team has entered in a plea of not guilty. To the media, his lawyers have tried to convince the public to keep an open mind when approaching the case after Tyrese's arrest. Their statements allege that the case is far more complex than investigators had made it seem, and that there is far more to the narrative about what happened between Tyrese and Fahim than has been made public. Tyrese's defense has said that they intend to contest all of the charges. As his trial and case have gone underway, the charges against Tyrese have only grown. The charges increased to first and second degree murder, second degree grand larceny, second degree burglary, concealment of a human corpse, and tampering with physical evidence. The three grand larceny counts were for allegedly stealing tens of thousands of dollars from Saleh through PayPal transactions. According to the indictment, Tyrese killed Fahim with the purpose of preventing Fahim from ever testifying against him in the matter of the stolen money. Thus far, Tyrese has only had one court session where he entered his not guilty plea. His trial begins on January 11th, where prosecutors will begin to make their case against Tyrese. Until then, he is being held at the prison on Rikers Island. While the police searched for and found their primary suspect in his death, the close-knit Saleh family has been left with the impossible task of dealing with the loss of Fahim. Fahim's older sister, Ruby, in the weeks following his murder, wrote an article detailing the day she received the news of his death and the days following. In this article, she describes that the ongoing coronavirus pandemic made things even more difficult for their family. Her and her sister had to identify Fahim's body remotely through graphic, lifeless pictures emailed to her. Ruby took on the task of planning Fahim's funeral, 
and in doing so, had to plead with the funeral home to attempt to reconstruct Fahim's body, but they were unable to. The best they could do to put his body back together was to place each severed part where it should be in the casket. And many months since losing their brother, Ruby and her family still struggle with their grief, lack of final answers, and getting closure for Fahim's vicious, cruel murder. Fahim Saleh's legacy continues on, though now marked by his tragic, gruesome passing. Gokata, one of Fahim's companies following the news of his death, tweeted out, What an honor it is to have been led by you, Fahim. Your teaching on safety, efficiency, and kindness will continue to follow us as we uphold the legacy which you successfully began. As Tyrese Haspel's trial gets further underway, we anticipate learning more about how and why this murder was committed. Was it really just a disgruntled former employee getting revenge on his boss after being caught stealing money? Or are Tyrese's lawyers telling the truth that there is more to the story than has been made public? For Fahim's family, we hope that there are answers soon. This concludes this week's episode of Crime Solid. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Crime Solid is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect. All the bloodhead, all the pain.